On the last leg of a journey halfway around the world, Pan American Airways Captain Leo Terletsky began to worry. And when Captain Terletsky worried, everyone else on the flight deck worried, too. His anxiety caused him to shout at co-pilots, issue orders, and immediately countermand them. He infected his crews with his own anxiety, wrote Horace Brock, who flew a few times with Terletsky and didn't much like it. At noon, on July 29, 1938, there was plenty to be anxious about. Having spent 56 hours over five days flying Pan Am passengers from San Francisco to the Far East, Terletsky and his nine-man crew were deep into bad weather as the Martin 130 flying boat approached the Philippine archipelago. The plane was sandwiched between two layers of clouds, explained Pete Fry, a captain with a large American carrier and a safety investigator with his union, who reviewed for me the weather report submitted by the crew on that miserable summer morning. The stratocumulus clouds that Terletsky encountered are often at the beginning or end of worse weather, including rain and turbulence. Terletsky was dealing with both as he threaded the four-engine plane through the bands of clouds above and below where he was flying at 9,100 feet, 586 miles east of Manila. As Fry explained it to me, the rocky ride was not the crew's biggest problem. They are inside the clouds half the time, flying on instruments. This would make navigating by observing landmarks below impossible. It would also make getting a fix from the sun or other celestial object impossible as well. They are navigating with dead reckoning, Fry said. Dead reckoning is the most basic form of navigation, essentially a mathematical calculation involving weather, wind, time, speed, and direction. You make an assumption of wind correction and simply hold a heading and course for a fixed period of time. At the end, you hope to be where you planned, Fry explained. Yet considering their inability to see the earth below, the crew would have had little on which to base their position. Or as Fry imagined flying under the circumstances, you are lost. Around noon local time, radio operator William McCarty, 33, sat at his desk behind the co-pilot, tapping the keys of his Morse code machine. He was sending a message to the Pan Am ground station on the Philippine island of Panay. Even if the crew was uncertain of its position— Pan Am's ground personnel would try to use radio wave direction finding to pinpoint the flying boat's location. They could also provide the crew with information about the weather ahead. McCarty reported the weather and the winds, the temperature, and the crew's approximation of where they were, along with their speed. Morse code could get through, even when the plane's radio signal was not strong enough to transmit a voice. By the time McCarty was done, about ten minutes had passed— and Edward Fernandez, the operator at Panay, wanted to pass the weather news on to the crew. McCarty asked him to wait. Stand by for one minute before sending, as I am having trouble with rain static. When Fernandez tried later to contact the clipper, there was no reply. Nothing was ever heard again from the Hawaii clipper. No piece of the plane, no human remains, no luggage or cargo, and no airplane fluid or fuel would show up. As with Malaysia 370, 76 years later, only the evidence still on the ground would be available for investigators to consider. They could scour the maintenance records and operational history of the plane and review the performance and training of the crew, along with the information sent by McCarty during the flight. But it might not be enough to determine conclusively what happened. It could be illuminating. It might be baffling. It turned out to be both. <laughs>